This is the Infatuation Podcast, a show where we talk to Asian creators that we love. This is Madison, and on today's show, I'll be talking with Kirtana Srikamore, a South Asian-American 16-year-old writer, artist, and teacher who has most notably been the youngest winner at the Toronto Independent Film Festival. She's also spoken before the California Arts Commissioner Board on the TEDx stage to advocate for the expansion of local arts programs and even founded the Youth Art Committee of San Ramon at just 10 years old. On today's episode, we're going to chat about her work as a young pioneering creative and discuss disparities in the arts and what it's like being young creatives. Hi guys, happy Women's History Month. I've missed you and being here. I'm sorry for my hiatus. I've been really busy with school and college work. But I wanted to come here for this episode and do one to celebrate Women's History Month. Um, so I'm hosting this episode all by myself and I'm going to be audio editing it too. And I, I organized this episode pretty much. So I'm talking with somebody very special today who I found on TikTok and we are very similar because we're young people, um, going into the entertainment industry. She's, working on screenwriting, but she's literally a renaissance woman who does so much other stuff. And as you guys know, I am I co-host and produce this um, podcast, but I'm also doing music and hope to pursue music technology in the future. So yeah, this is Kirtana, everyone. Hi, guys. That was an amazing introduction and um, congratulations on all that you're doing with the podcast. It's amazing. Oh my God. Thank you. Congratulations on all you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, as I said, I first discovered you on TikTok and I followed you after you went viral. I was wondering if you could retell that story really quickly, just so people can get the context that they don't have. Yeah, sure. So one of the first videos that kind of did well on TikTok was me talking about being a 16-year-old English teacher. So I started teaching when I got my work license at 15, and now I'm a full-time teacher at a private school. I'm an assistant teacher. And so that story kind of went a little bit there. And then mm-hmm. um, the more bigger one was about my screenwriting journey. So I started my first script during quarantine when I was 15. And it was about like my high school experience, a little bit of a coming of age story. Um, and the main character is like me, a brown woman living in California. And um, I sent that script to a bunch of festivals, including Toronto Independent. Um, but for Toronto Independent, you do have to be over 18 to be work in like the um, to enter the screenwriting contest. So I lied and said I was a 35 year old white man um, and, and TikTok loved it. It was a great story to tell. Um, and after winning, I did tell the truth and they like put, positioned me as like the youngest winner of the festival. Um, and since then, everything's been going pretty good. Um, that movie is currently in pre-production and I got to work with an amazing director and I'm hoping to kickstart my second project. I'm also screenwriting a sitcom currently. And yeah, um, I mean, I want to work in film, but I also have a passion for literature and teaching, which, yeah, I'm just trying to do all of that. Yeah, I'm so happy for you. Is is your winning um is your winning screenplay the first one you ever wrote? Yes, yeah. So that I was is... like 
open to kind of writing like scripts or anything like mm-hmm. I was more of like a like I when I was younger I was like I'm gonna publish a book at some point so yeah. I was like ready to write a novel and then I just realized like this was one of those stories that m- felt more like a movie and I just watched Lady Bird so I was like very inspired with the whole Greta Gerwig like suburban kind of storytelling so mm-hmm. Um, so after that, I was like, I'm gonna learn how to write screenplays. I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, I read a lot of scripts. I read like, I think one or two scripts a day for like a couple weeks. And I finished that project up in like, I guess, like, less than a month of like writing it. And then I didn't really tell anyone about it because I was like, okay, if this works out, great. And if it doesn't, no one knows any better. So mm-hmm. um, kind of waited until the Toronto win to tell my parents and kind of tell the world. But yeah, um, it's been super fun and I love I love filmmaking. Wow. So you didn't tell your parents until after you won? Yeah. So that's um, a bit of a story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my parents didn't really know what I was doing. They were like, okay, she's doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Toronto, of course, like sent like a thing in the mail and they were like okay what is what's going on either this yeah. is and we're like it's just like a weird thing and then I explained the whole thing of like yeah I wrote a screenplay what's a screenplay a screenplay is like a thing of a movie and um yeah since then like it's been crazy like uh working on like with the director to produce the script and then also like my parents meeting cool screenwriters and people and um of course they my dad and my parents are like from like a little bit of the tech industry so it's like a mm-hmm. completely realm for them especially as immigrants they're like okay saying yes to yeah. everything which is um very sweet but yeah so um that's basically the story of that <laughs> that's amazing um yeah. <laughs> What what gave you the courage to take that risk and what do you think it was like? How did it feel to you to fabricate an identity for this project and win under a different name? And how did you feel after when you had to reveal um, your true identity? Yeah, so um, I wrote this script like a couple months after I was diagnosed with memory loss. So like Mm -hmm. at this point, I was like very scared of losing the memories that I had of high school Mm -hmm. and uh, even middle school. Some of those memories are in the script. And I was really worried about not just losing that, but like losing who I was and like my creative drive. So writing it itself, I didn't imagine it would be a movie. I just wrote it more as like a therapeutic type thing to do to remember or recall like what my life was like. Mm -hmm. And after the Toronto, like, of course, like when I submitted to Toronto, I didn't expect that I would have to like fake my age um and when I was like okay 18 I'm not really 18 yet I was 15 at the time so I was just like well it would be kind of funny to say a 35 year old white man um and like I don't know what came over me to put it as that but um I think it was more of like a okay who's the most common type of screenwriter you see and that is Mm -hmm. a 35 year old white man most screenwriters are way past their 20s um and I don't while I don't think like age can like limit you in any sense I think um seeing young people especially writing in the film industry is something completely new like even to this day the writers guild does not recognize um screenwriters under 18 yet the actors guild does which shows kind of like how age kind of plays into um how young people view like screenwriting and just like kind of that side behind the scenes of the hollywood industry um so yeah I did that more of like a joke type bit to tell people like oh yeah I faked my identity as a 30 yeah 
again. And then when the truth came, like when I had to kind of reveal the truth because I won and then there was the whole attending Toronto. And that, of course, that um, that year it was virtual due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And I still felt bad of like just showing up and being like, there's no way I can change my identity to look like a 35-year-old white man. So I told the truth. And um, thankfully, my submission still got considered and they still awarded me and um I think it makes for a great story to tell and I think Mm -hmm. I'm all about stories no matter if it's a script or the story behind the script beautiful I mean I I know I said this already but I'm so proud of you and you should be so proud of yourself I really hope you are oh my gosh thank you so much um I know you talked a little bit about memory loss How is it a specific condition or is memory loss sort of the diagnosis? What was that like for you and how do you think that shaped, um, how do you think that shaped your craft, whether it's writing, uh, screenwriting or visual art? Because I know you do. You, you're a painter and an artist as well, like visually. So yeah, it's, it was, it wasn't a, in and of itself, it wasn't a diagnosis. Um, Mm -hmm. Around like the time, like quarantine, I started going to therapy, I started getting on medication. And I haven't talked about this more publicly yet, but I am planning to do it. I think Mm -hmm. um, it's common for people to go through like mental issues, and it's should be talked about pretty openly, I think. Um, And at the time, like, I didn't realize like, how negatively my like patterns were and like how how negative my patterns were and like behavior and kind of what was going on in my life I think um when my like the psychiatrist was like okay you might have memory loss you do have gaps in your memory I was like super scared because I was like how can I have memory loss I'm 15 I'm still a kid mm-hmm. um to think of memory loss you think of a person that's well over their 50s and um at the time during quarantine like I started getting into therapy I started taking medication and uh while you're in therapy you talk about your past and I just couldn't recall it and I relied a lot on like my journal entries and like the stories that I wrote and the thing with like being a like fiction writer like you have no idea what part of the story is true and like what is like truly part of your like history and um it was hard to deal with the idea that I had gaps in my memory but also um I tried everything I tried the like there's a like brain scans and EEGs and just a lot of like trying to figure out if if there's something neurologically wrong Mm -hmm. Um, and doctors couldn't find it it's more of a byproduct of just being in a very negative space for a long time um throughout middle school I was very depressed though I was still very like academically um in good standing like I mm-hmm. had all A's I did basically every class on the earth like I was um I d- didn't sound like the like um a person that struggled with mental health the way that I process memory has been completely affected and mm-hmm. I will probably struggle with memory loss for the rest of my life which is definitely hard to deal with but I think it's one of the things that makes me a better writer, um, my dissociation is unique in the sense that when I read a book and I'm dissociated, I can almost feel what the character feels. So um, mm-hmm. the character gets like hit or punched. Like I would physically feel that in my body if I was dissociated and reading a textbook. And of course, that's can be a good thing as a writer because you can kind of like secondhand feel those emotions and feelings. But also like there are books that t- talk about more darker topics that you shouldn't be reading at like 10 or 11 and mm-hmm. shouldn't be like um, physically feeling on your body at that age. And I always thought like that was kind of how people 
um, comprehend the literature. And that was what people were doing. They were feeling it. And, and I realize now, like looking back, like that is not what most people feel when they read a book. Um, they don't feel that. Yeah. Um, but I think it, in the ways that it has manifested in my work, I think I talk a lot about like cultural escapism and like mm-hmm. very hyper-focused culture and like as teenagers you just grab onto whatever culture you want and you just become it like you start dressing like characters you start talking like characters and that was what I was doing at that age because I didn't realize who I I didn't remember who I was before so it's better to look at what's in front of me look at the tv that I'm watching and look at the books that I'm reading and be that person because that's what I remember it's the books that I read it's the um, like movies and tv shows I consume and Mm -hmm. I guess that can be seen in my work um, but yeah, that's, I guess, a very broad story of my memory loss. Thank you so much for sharing such a vulnerable thing. Um, do you think, do you think because of that, you're more drawn to writing fiction or recounting your own stories, um, to document your feelings so you remember them later? Or do you not really have a preference and it just varies? Um, I was like when I started writing and like I was like I was a young person that really wanted to write a novel I remember the first book I wrote I was like maybe like nine or ten and I was Mm -hmm. like writing about this girl whose dad goes is like a veteran and like losing her dad and it was one of those stories that um, it could be a touching story for someone else to write but I did not experience that at all and it wasn't my story I just felt like it would be a good story to tell Mm -hmm. so I always felt like I was waiting for the right thing to happen in my life and then I'll be so inspired and I can write the story no matter if it's fiction or not um just write it and then it's there and it it's it feels true like I just needed more of my life to happen for a better story to come out yeah um and I think like now I gravitate more towards um not fiction but like autobiographical or just I'm just writing my myself as different characters at this point like my Mm -hmm. second script is like what I see myself as or like the worst case scenario of what I see myself as and like and like it's not a a fictitious person in my mind I genuinely believe this is a possibility for me and I think yeah most of my work is autobiographical but not in the terms of I'm directly writing a memoir it's more of like I see this could be me in the worst case or this could be the me in the best case or something like that Mm -hmm. and I know you said that struggling through memory loss as a young person you used to cling to different fictitious characters when you were young what kind of characters did you hold the strongest connection to and how have you found that as a 16 year old you've grown into um grown into yourself or are you still do you feel like you're still struggling and still um don't feel secure in your own identity yet I think there's never a point in my life I'll be like oh I'm very secure in my identity I think Mm -hmm. it's always fluctuating um and I don't know if that's to the level of any other person who might not have memory loss but um, when I was younger, like I read Jane Eyre, like when I was 12 and, mm-hmm. um, it's by Charlotte Bronte. It's about like, it's considered Gothic fiction or like Gothic, Gothic Victorian literature, but more than half, like I would say like seven eighths of the book is just Jane being the most loneliest person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like this woman is 
so lonely, so deprived of just comfort from other people. And I was obsessed with that. And I um, remember I would annotate the book, like I had like four or five copies, I would annotate them, like every day I would go from like, I would go back from school and just annotate and read and keep like working on it. And there wasn't a real like reason of like, oh, I like this is something that I want to incorporate in my work. It wasn't anything like that. I just, I felt so seen in a character um, even though this is a woman living in 1800s, like this, she's completely different from what I, I am or I was at the time. Uh, I guess that was one piece of like culture that I grabbed onto pretty quickly. And then I think um, a little later, I read Lolita, which is like not the best literature to attach yourself. Oh, especially, I, especially how, how old were you when you read that? 12 That's insane. <laughs> yeah. That's the issue with like, I think like, quote unquote like gifted kids or whatever like once a kid is like like supposedly really good at something or really mature at something like you not just like society just lets the rain and like they can take the reins and go wherever you want like Mm -hmm. um I like of course like at that time like young adult literature was a bit to like I was past young adult literature so I was like what's the next thing like it's the classics and those these are the books that I considered classics and I read and um of course it's like looking back I'm like okay I really shouldn't have read these books but also it's like what are you supposed to give a kid that's gone through most of the YA section of the library there's not much you can give a child that's like you know clean not clean in the sense but like um with storylines that are safer for children but are written in a more like adult language you know mm-hmm. like it's just tough. um but yeah that was one um I remember like I would because like Lolita is structured in a way to sympathize with Wait. the abusers yes and it's like terrifying because Nabokov is a brilliant romance writer mm-hmm. and you see that in the writing and um I remember like I would annotate to him like this I had like two copies and I would annotate I did too. I specifically read it to annotate just because I knew that um, because it was write because it was written in a way that romanticizes such a disgusting perspective. I thought that would be really interesting to analyze. So that's How really old were funny. You did it? I see. I did that this year, and that's why I'm so surprised that you were so young when you did it. Because even as a 17 year old, it's so heavy for me. And honestly, I understand where the appreciation comes because although it's so sick, it's written so beautifully, and that's what makes it good writing. Because, but anyways, I I didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like it. No, no, I didn't finish it. Like I, at that age, I didn't finish it. But me neither. Exactly. See, I just can't. Like it's uh-huh. so. And it's so redundant. I feel like it's so redundant. It's just like, okay, it's just, it's too much at this point. Exactly. No, and then um, I think at like age 14-ish, I wanted to watch the movie so bad because everyone mm-hmm. was talking about it. And then, uh, thank God, because I read a quote by Nabokov, who, like the author, and he was like, I hope this never turns into a movie because it's not supposed to be a movie. It's supposed to be a novel. And that mm-hmm. makes so much sense. The entire idea of this like perspective of the abuser and like the way that you like Nabokov is a brilliant writer. And I don't think that it's necessarily a book that could be shunned away because it shows a lot of faults with humans and like how we perceive things and our ways of sympathy and I think if we can Mm -hmm. confront that it's beautiful but also it's a very touchy subject and it's one of the only classics that aged worse with time normally classics 
um it like it's really bad at the or controversial at the time and it kind of deadens down but this mm-hmm. one is like the very first one that like kind of skyrocketed in how controversial it was but yeah mm-hmm. that those are the two I would say um that kind of shaped my mind at that point yeah I see so when did you start getting t- into like ethnic literature and like more global I don't know writing that represents different cultures around the world rather than like Eurocentric, you know, your typical Shakespearean, Jane Austen type stuff. And like how? Because I feel like that's such um, It's hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is hard. Yeah, because like it's not highlighted as much. I mm-hmm. think when I was younger, I was like, I, like um, when I say younger, I mean like two years ago probably. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I was like 14-ish, I would say like I was kind of getting bored of reading like Victorian literature because it's um, it's just people like it's very not who I was and I was trying to figure out okay so what authors are maybe not from Europe or are include women characters that are well written and like written by women like there was a lot of um, intersectionalism that I was searching for but I couldn't find so I took like the first like ethnic studies class I took was a Latin literature course and I was part um I thought at the like I signed up kind of like by chance I thought Latin was gonna be like Latin Latin but it was more Hispanic Latin which is yeah uh, I'm very thankful for um I read so many amazing works which were literature and translation so originally Spanish but it was translated into English and like I read Carlos Fuentes I read um, Isabel Allende um, like I read uh, so many magical realist novels like and I'd like the first one that like really like changed the game for me was um, Aura by Carlos Fuentes and mm-hmm. like I think it's like Exultal or like it's like this fish it's a, it's named after a fish Axolotl um, Axolotl there's a story like a short story and that it's like it's the most craziest story that like you would not find in your like a European literature and Victorian literature could not cover this yet it's the most like gothic Victorian tome that like yet Victorian literature never did it it Mm. was about this man who's like like, very entranced with this fish and like how do you pronounce it again (laughs) I think it's axolotl axolotl yeah so yeah. he would go to the museum like the aquarium every day to after work like it goes on a bus to visit the axolotl and uh-huh. one day he's like staring deep into this fish he becomes the fish and um he's stuck i'm so intrigued i'm so intrigued so cool and at the first time i was like oh my god what am i reading and then mm-hmm. second i was like this is like what victorian literature tried to do but couldn't and Mm. it was it's just beautiful and it's so unique and cool and then since uh, after that i was like searching for um like asian literature i was searching for caribbean literature and i'm currently i'm taking african-american literature at my community college and i'm learning like so much like there's a lot of like um graphic novel literature that i haven't consumed yet and um just reading that has been amazing um and yeah, it's just like, it took, for me, it was through classes, but I think it really shouldn't be that you have to take like academic courses to just get book recommendations that are yeah. more international. Um, and I hope I can give like more recommendations to the world of like, these are books that you should definitely read. Mm-hmm. And they are not written by a white man in that is 35. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 35 white man. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, hopefully I can get better at recommending. But for, mm-hmm. like, I guess, everyone re- uh, like listening to this, just read Axolotl. 
Um, I think Carlos Brentes might have re- written that, but it's beautiful. Like, it's just you have to read it. Like, it'll change your perspective on like literature itself. Yeah. Well, the last time we spoke, you touched me. I actually, I feel like I've been on a, I, I used to read a book a week, but I feel like I've, I've been slacking a lot. And the past three books I've read, I haven't even finished either of them. And it's probably been a month since. Um, it's probably been a month since I've read anything at all. And I decided to get Beloved by Toni Morrison. And um, yes, Voyage of the Sable Venus, which is um, it's a poetry book. And yeah, so thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm, I know you I know you didn't recommend those, but you just sort of inspired me to. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy. Like uh, Toni Morrison is such a great writer. I actually, I just mm-hmm. got a mail, not by Toni, Toni Morrison, but it's Kindred by Octavia E. Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, like I have it right here, but it's a Hulu series. But the book is like one of the first um afrofuturism books that was created before that term was coined and i'm learning it in my class right now and it's so amazing and beautiful and i didn't know much about afrofuturism as like a genre and just like learning about it has been really cool yeah we don't i don't have to put this in the podcast because i like i know like i don't know maybe location or like privacy reasons but what what community college do you go to uh, Diablo Valley College. I think it's fine because like my stuff has been posted like on their socials, so like mm. I think it's like it's fine. It's been known. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, because I I took some courses at um College of San Mateo, so I was like, oh, maybe because we're both Bay Area girls. Like, oh yeah, I, we haven't mentioned that yet, but both of yes. us are in the same area, so that's very mm-hmm. cool. Yes, yeah. um, which I had no idea when I first contacted you. So, God, like. We could have done this podcast in person. Oh, my God. I know. Well, it's okay. We'll meet up soon. Yes, we definitely Um, are. Do you feel like you're connected to your Indian identity and how has that manifested maybe in your art or what you've read or what you've written? Because... I know you said that your parents are immigrants, right? My parents were born here, but my grandparents were immigrants, and I feel very disconnected from my Chinese culture. Yeah, I think, like, for, like for me, like, I grew up very connected to being, like, Indian. I'm South Indian. I'm from Kerala, and it's a pretty small state comparatively, and so, and it's, like, very coastal. It's a very specific type of area and type of culture, and um, I remember I felt like super out of the loop with like growing up. Um, I, I grew up a couple of years, like my, I was born in like Fremont. So it's a very, like, it's majority Asian population. So a lot of, I had a lot of Indian friends. I grew up with a lot of Indian people and yet none of them spoke the language I spoke. A lot of them like watched Bollywood movies and I did not know Hindi, so I couldn't watch them. And like all the music was different that I listened to. So I felt like I wasn't like a true Indian. I wasn't speaking Hindi and I wasn't watching Bollywood movies and I didn't practice like the holidays that like most of India celebrated. But like in terms of like books, I think it, like I would guess like the first book that I read that made me feel like oh okay this isn't like me this is another person I can relate to was Arundhati Roy a god of the god of small things and that book won I think the Booker Prize and it was published in like the like late 90s I believe she's Malu and it's about a Malu Christian family and it was like the first time I heard like 
the like the name that I call my mom, Amma, like I heard that in a book. Mm-hmm. For and it was so refreshing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a story that I can relate to. And even though I read other Indian authors like Jhumpa Lahri and like others, like I never like read something and was like, oh, this is me. And hearing that was amazing. But also it's like now there's not another book to pick up like that because um, I only really read wrote one book, sadly. And um, there's not that many Malu authors that wrote in English. And um, it's hard to translate Malayalam literature into English because it's completely different in the way that just like the sentence style and writing. And I don't know how to read Malayalam. I can speak, but I never learned how to read. But it, I think now, like growing up, I'm way more connected and secure with my identity in terms of like where I come from. Like I love that I know how to speak the language and I can speak to my grandmother. I love that I go to India like every year and it's always an amazing experience. And yeah. And I recognize that it might be different. Like I my parents grew up near palm trees and we like 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 everywhere you go you would smell like fish markets and it's like a very coastal area, which is very cool to me. But uh yeah, I think it's definitely hard to find a way to be connected to a culture, especially when you live in the U.S. and um, just consume more culture created by people that are not similar to you. But mm-hmm. it takes a lot of research, which it really shouldn't, but it does take a lot of research to find more creatives out there that write the experience that you want to consume. Um, I would ask, like, uh, as in terms of you, like you, how do you feel like you've connected with your cultural identity? What's really strange is actually I can relate to you so much because my family's from a small village and we actually speak a dialect that, a Chinese dialect that is rare. I think it's pretty common in the Bay Area just because there's such a, there's such a big Chinese population here, but it's basically called Toisan. And from what I know, it's more of a dying dialect. It's not something that I'm able to learn on Duolingo or YouTube really, or um, like books or Google. It sucks because when I was little, I sort of, I mean, it makes sense that I feel disconnected from my Chinese culture because I'm second generation, but it was also, I mean, I can take accountability for a lot of disconnect that I do feel because I remember like growing up, I don't know what it was because It's really strange growing up in San Francisco because my whole life I've been around a lot of Asian and Chinese people. Maybe it was media and me just always being drawn to entertainment and wanting to be on screen and not seeing anybody who looked like me, but I I refused to speak Chinese. Anytime I walked into Walgreens, I would always look at the hair dye or the makeup and envision what I wanted to look like when I was older and it was always a white girl. So it's really strange to me because I pretty much, I feel like I all did it myself. It's not like my mom pushed me, you know, my whole family and my friends encouraged me to embrace my Chinese roots, but I never did, which is still something, um, I guess I'm trying to figure out, but I would say as I've grown older, there's definitely a lot of acceptance that's come with that. I know that I tried to learn, over quarantine, I actually tried to learn a bit of Chinese, and my grandma actually died during COVID, which sucked, because I feel like along with her death, so did my opportunity to learn about my family history. Yeah, but I feel like that's just such a normal part of growing up is pushing it away when you're young and then finding the beauty in it when you're older. I don't blame myself for that. I just think that's a normal human thing. 
but it's okay. Yeah. I don't think you should blame yourself for kind of pushing your cultural identity when you're younger. Like, I feel like I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, like, I would, like, wear bleaching creams, and I dyed my hair blonde at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. There was, like, a lot of just trying to be, like, the white girl that was always considered attractive. Um, but, yeah, um, I'm glad that you felt comfortable enough to share all that. And it's beautiful that you can reflect on um who you were when you were younger and I don't I really don't think you should blame yourself because like that's such a young person that was very easily influenced by the media they were consuming and as working and knowing that you wanted to work in entertainment that it makes sense like you would want to look like the successful people that are on the screen Mm -hmm. I feel like although it's a blessing to be I guess I don't want to call ourselves spearheads because there's so many amazing people that came before us. I feel like I feel like it's really daunting, but there's also something special about being one of the first. But then I know that we were also, I mean, it's a nuanced thing. I remember we were talking last time about how sometimes people tie us too much, people tie our art too much to our identities. And that's like something that I, I I feel like I need to try to find balance in, especially as somebody who like runs an Asian-based podcast, because I don't think that it defines us completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think like um, there's a difference between like performative activism, where like the a person identifies that showing this type of diversity can be used to promote something, and rather than like. And like be promoted for like business use and like um, getting more streams or getting more people showing up to the like movie theater or like whatever it is. And then also there's like the difference, like the opposite would be um, showcasing more people of a minority because people deserve to feel represented in the media. Um, And that's exactly what you're doing with this podcast. And you're doing an amazing job of it, of um, finding creative people who are all minorities and who all may experience kind of like the whole feeling like the first and feeling like there aren't um, other people that are like them within whatever they're pursuing. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like as much as artists and including myself want to, I guess like want to be recognized as separate from maybe our age or our ethnic identity, I feel like in some ways, I haven't recognized if it's me and my resent towards my identity because I feel like that's something that like naturally we're going to live with for the rest of our lives. Or I know that like there's such a strong desire for me to separate myself from my age. I know you were talking about this too last time, your age, maybe our ethnic identities, but I also feel like I can't, it's hard to decipher whether I've surrendered to it or if I've embraced it, because I know that even though there's so much more to me than being a Chinese young girl, um, trying to, um, pursue music, it's also an integral part of my story. No, exactly. I think like, um, I'm going to be turning 17 soon. And like, um, in terms of my age, I'm like, so worried. I'm like, it does the allure of being like 15 was a big deal because that's like a baby but then 16 it's like okay that whole age thing is like slowly withering away and being mm-hmm. I guess like youngest person in a room or 
being extraordinary because of my age is going to go away at some point in my life. And I'm like so used to mentioning my age. So people are like surprised or want to know more of my story. And I'm worried that I've relied too much on it. Or if I'm like when I'm older, like, is it not going to be as alluring if I'm going to be like, I'm going to crash and burn and like, um, like all my successes are happening when I'm younger. And yeah. And in terms of identity, it's like, um, do I, is it okay if I only write stories that are of like, in like Indian women, if, um, like if I have the opportunity of writing or like helping other narrative voices come out and like help other minorities feel represented. And, um, I was having this conversation with like a, uh, director about like, like the, one of the scripts for a different, like, it was like a pitch for a sitcom, not the sitcom that I'm currently writing, but, um, one of the, like the main character is not Indian American. And, um, he asked why is like this not an Indian American character. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I, like, I just didn't imagine this character to be, but then he's like, I think you should change it to an Indian American character because it would be easier to pitch. Um, and I realized like, oh, at first I was like, oh, wait, how does that like make sense? I, like in any way, but then I also realized like, oh, this is an industry where your identity is what's marketable and your identity is your product like uh no matter if you're an actor or a writer or um director whoever you are like your what you're creating is equally as important as who you are and who the world thinks you are um there it has to be a narrative arc to who you are as a person who you are as an artist because other people need to see that narrative arc and be like okay this is the story we can tell this screenwriter is 16 years old she's a minority um, and she lied about her age for a film festival, and now that film's getting produced. Um, she's young, she's representing a minority, that's why she deserves to be in this room. And, like, of course, there's, like, the harsh part of, like, realizing you're, it's like, you're, who you are as a person is always going to be judged, and who you are as a person is going to be used for monetary gain, or, like, mm-hmm. business gain, or whatever it is. Um, but also it's the fact that like, like 10 years ago, like any one of those things would have been extraordinary in of itself, like a young person or screenwriting or a woman screenwriting or um, a Indian American person screenwriting. And so like the industry has gone a long way, but I think it does need to go more. Um, and sure. like, I don't know where it's like, a, I'm paraphrasing a quote here, but um someone at some point in this world said that if the moment that a minority woman could write about a straight white man multiple times and still be successful is the moment that we have reached equality between female minority writers and male writers and that is so true you have men writing about younger women you have like men writing about older like you're like there's been centuries of just work of people writing stories that they cannot relate to so if a minority can write a story that they cannot relate to but it is a story about the majority and they can write that and they can be successful that's when the equality is reached and honestly I do not see that happening like right now or I don't see that happening in a couple years because like that's such a hard thing to break like Mm -hmm. um I like I can't even name like any artist, no matter what the discipline is, that has kind of reached that um, like level of uh, just creating and being accepted in that way. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like 
I feel like as we're emerging into spaces that strive for my, more diversity, it's, I feel like it's sort of exciting to feel like your voice is being valued, but at the same time, it's like, is it really? I definitely do feel like we have a long way to go because I don't know, it just like begs the question, is the intention genuine to represent me or are you just valuing me because I'm a commodity type thing, you know what I mean? And I hope that, you know, maybe when we're 80 and have gray hair, things will be different. Yeah, no, hopefully. I mean, by then you'll be an amazing um, person in the music industry, whether you release your own songs or whether you're working behind the scenes. And at that point, when you're basking in all your success, um, hopefully it's, it's finally easier to just write what you want and have it work if it's working um, and not just be like a very what is selling and what is not selling type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, same to you. I wish you all the success and the best of luck. I'm I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You've Thank done amazing. You. And I, I we haven't we haven't talked much about um, your, we did talk earlier about your music and kind of that endeavor. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. I'm going to close this out. And if you have time, I can show you my creative sample. It's only five minutes. Okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm going, I'm just going to close this out really quick. That does it for this episode. Thank you to my guest, Kirtana. Where can we keep up with your work and your socials? Um, so thank you so much for having me. You can find me on my TikTok, Kirthana Shree, my Instagram, Kirthana.shree, um, and my website, just my full name, Um, And yeah, I mean, you can catch up on the sitcom that is going to be re- released very, very soon. My feature updates are always on my TikTok. And yeah, um, thank you so much for having me once again. Of course. Um, and thank you all so much for listening. We hope you learned something new. And as I mentioned, you can write to us at theinfatuationpodcast at gmail.com and please follow us at Instagram and Facebook at The Infatuation Podcast. All of these details are in the show notes. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We could use your ratings and reviews over at Apple and now Spotify. But until then, on behalf of Kirtana and I, we hope you are all happy, healthy, and safe and show the women in your life some extra appreciation. Thank you again and talk to you soon. Bye!